Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am grateful that you are joining me today for an interview with my new friend, Babak Azad. And Babak is the founder of Round Two Partners, where he helps clients take their performance marketing business to the next level. He specializes in analyzing a business and then identifying actionable strategies they can take to accelerate the growth of their business. Prior to starting to his company, Babak helped Beachbody scale from $100 million in revenue to over a billion dollars in revenue, getting involved with sales, media, and marketing. And most importantly, Babak is a husband and father of two boys who are four and a half and three. Babak, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here, Andy. Yeah, absolutely. Really happy to have you on. And uh, of course, we met through our mutual friend, Tuan Nguyen, who has become a good friend of mine and is a guy that just seems to inspire and help everyone who is around him. And so I'm always excited to meet friends of his because I know he surrounds himself with great people and eager to learn more about you. I've heard a little bit about your background before. and Very impressive what you've done in the past and what you're doing now with your clients. So if you wouldn't mind, start with a kind of a quick background of how you got to where you are today, and then we can go into the business that you're running now. Sure. And I'll jump all the way back for a quick, quick sec and then breeze through it, but it gives some context to how I got to here. So grew up here in LA and uh, went to MIT undergrad, was a math major there, had no clue what I wanted to do afterwards. So I went into investment banking. I guess I like suffering. I was an endurance athlete and dumb triathlon. So I guess that goes with the territory. And then went to business school, spent four years in investment banking in New York and the Bay Area, and then went to Stanford Business School. Came out in 01, which was the market was starting to go down, but I really wanted to start something and uh, came down to LA and started a free magazine for gyms and yoga studios. Describe it as the best 25 grand I ever lost. A monster amount of humble pie living with my parents. Drove a minivan that beeped when you put it in reverse, did the whole thing. And uh, that, was, that was definitely some challenging few years in there. We did some one-off consulting projects at that point, but really it was kind of like struggling personally in a lot of ways. And then got lucky, found a, an opportunity at Napster. A friend of mine was there, the legal and public version. So spent two and a half years there, really just kind of biding time in many ways looking back. And then got to Beachbody in 07. It obviously had a bit of scale at 100 million when I got there. And you know, I left eight years later, which was 2015. So almost three years. It was April of 2015 when I left. And yeah, so I got in there, originally built analytics. And then for the last five years, oversaw media and customer acquisition. So TV, digital, social, Amazon, all that was uh, basically on my teams. And a phenomenal experience. Met my wife through one of my best friends there, but it was time to go. It was eight years and it was time to leave. So I uh, was going to go do something, go start something with some folks. Team fell apart very quickly. We'd been planning for a while. And, you know, once you get into it, you figure it out. And we figured out that it wasn't going to work with that group. So I basically just started picking up clients. You know, I don't have 50 million in the bank and frankly had to do something anyways. So at that point, we had just had the second boy and you know, got to pay the bills, do the thing. And I kind of had done a little bit. So I started picking up clients and really it's whatever, it's two and a half, three years later from that point that I find myself at this thing. I would, really would not have expected to have been here really basically a lot by myself and all that, but it's been a phenomenal experience. I've been pretty proud of it. And yeah, I guess I would say a little bit surprising 
where I've gotten to in that sense. And, you know, kind of, you just keep going and navigate your way. Yeah, really cool. And I appreciate that. I know you, you summed up a lot of things there in just a couple of minutes. I'd love to go back to that job at Beachbody and you helped scale from a hundred million to a billion dollars. You said you were involved in analytics and media and, and different selling channels. When you came into that, did you already have a lot of knowledge in that area or was that? Uh, I nothing. Okay. <laughs> I had no background. I mean, my magazine, I kind of figured out that promo codes and things like that would help people track, but I would not, rem- I mean, that was basically it. I didn't know much of anything about direct response. There's an MLM, a multi-level marketing, network marketing side of the business and Shakeology and the Beachbody coaches. I didn't know anything about that. And frankly, most Stanford Business School grads don't go into an infomercial or a network marketing business. And you know, I say that basically coming from the mindset of where I was at that point, which was their stigma associated with infomercials and yeah. um, network marketing and somewhat rightly so. But one of my distribution points for my magazine was two women who are actually in Yoga Booty Ballet which is one of the programs that Beachbody had sold. And so I talked to them and they had vouched for the business. And really, I wanted to get in something in health and fitness. I took a 25% pay cut to get there. The headhunter didn't even know that when I, uh, when I was interviewing, but I basically just viewed it as an opportunity. And I'm certainly glad I did. He frankly wouldn't have offered it to me or even thought about me had he known what I was making. But I wanted to get into something fitness related and I didn't want to do finance and I don't ever want to be a CFO. But that was my way in. And then I figured once you're in, if it's a good business and you're doing good stuff, you'll figure it out. And kind of what happened, you know, just started creating some stuff. And uh, again, I'm pretty darn good. I suck at certain things, but I'm very good at analytics and all that. Given my background, certainly is not surprising. Yeah. Um, But I I just started finding a way and finding some value and all that. And then we started building the teams and got going from there. Wow. That's really cool. I know it's a really complicated subject, but if you could simplify it, what was one of the big things that you learned that you did that allowed that company to really scale the way it did? And I know that probably informs what you do now. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the keys in any direct response business, especially when you're driving paid media is, you know, as basic as it sounds, and it's still a big, big deal for a lot of people is what's a customer worth? How much can you pay to acquire a customer? And really then what are the key levers in the business? And so I spend, my work is shifting a little bit, happy to talk about that, but a lot of the core work with any DR business, and I'll just say performance marketing, Mm. you're spending and you expect some kind of response, is having this unit economics model, which is not just an Excel file and just says, hey, what's a customer worth and when do I have to break even and all that, but it really helps to identify the key levers in the business. Because wherever you are, you have a baseline and it's, you know, whether it's revenues and COGS, understanding what moves the needle in your business and then frankly putting benchmarks in place. And then again, you just got to work it and putting people's time and attention and objectives and all that towards making improvements there. And I would say the layer on I would put onto that today now is in a way that's brand enhancing because I think Mm -hmm. there are ways that you can think you're increasing the value of the customer and your revenues in the short term. But I think we've all seen places where you just torch the customer and you build no brand. And so that's a lot of the work that I do today is making sure those things are balanced and frankly, working with people who want to build a brand. If you just want to be in for cash flow and churn and burn, like I got no judgment, but that's a different business than, yeah. Uh, yeah and so honestly, I got no problem with it at all, but it's certainly not the people that I work with. Cause again, like how you approach doing these different things, especially when you want to build a scalable, sustainable business and build a brand, yeah. you're going to approach them in a slightly different way. So that attention though, on what we call the margin model and, just continuing to work and drive that. I think that was a big, big deal. And then certainly having Shakeology and as that business grew, you know, 
leveraging the DR side and a hundred million in media every year we ran to build that network. Like those wow. hundred hundred million in media spend. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. So you, what you're talking about is being in a business where you know, you're going to be spending millions of dollars on advertising and marketing, and you've got to be able to figure out how do you optimize that so that your return on that is solid and you know exactly how much it costs to acquire each customer essentially on a, on a big scale. Yeah. Yeah. And if honestly, like we would go from December to January, we could easily six X our media. And again, at starting at six figures and going into seven a week. I mean, we spent mm-hmm. several million in Q1, you know, you're spending several million a week on, let's say on TV, our bread and butter was TV, not surprisingly, yeah. but if you don't know what your numbers are, you know, you could go from, that spend, you can start losing a lot of money very, very rapidly, right? So you have to understand that. By the way, if you're spending a hundred bucks a day or a million bucks a day, those same principles apply. Hmm. I would say the one other thing, the big lesson, one of the big things also I learned was just how you think about scale and how like on an ROI basis. So, you know, when you have scale, it's a lot easier to amortize costs. And, you know, let's say I was part of a group that was 25K a year. When you're a 500 billion dollar business like 25k how little do you have to move the needle to roi that right and so sometimes 25k sounds like a lot and if you're not generating anything it is a lot but in the context of when you have a scaled business and whatever that means for where the thing is i think understanding that is a big big deal Hmm, interesting so it sounds like i mean eight years doing that not only did you grow the business a lot but you learned a ton and this allowed you to build some expertise to go out and do it as a consultant. You said when you left, you decided it was time to go and you started picking up some clients because you needed to pay the bills, obviously. I had a couple questions there. Number one, at that time, were you looking for another job? Were you in the mindset that you wanted to still be a W-2 employee or were you ready to go out on your own? No, I mean, I left and it was, I did not even consider another job or employer in that way. I still don't. I mean, I'm not the kind of person who's going to say I never my goal is that I never have another employer other than myself, yeah. but I don't see the point in saying anything so absolute, even from a mindset side, frankly, but no, I left. I mean, when you go to a, try to do a startup, you got to know there's obviously a decent chance of failure, things not working out, but my wife was and has been 100% supportive of me. And again, I also had a sense of my runway, so I knew I wasn't like, I wouldn't have left with two kids and a mortgage if I only had like a month of burn, right? And right. hopefully I wouldn't have done that. And uh, no, but I just, uh, it was really more a matter of, okay, the startup's gone. What do I want to do? And I really did this bit of a reset of, okay, I'm starting over in many ways from what I thought I was going to do post-Beachbody. What is it that I'm optimizing for? And especially with a couple kids, they're young. Part of it has been time with family. And so Mm. I don't work four hours a week. I work a lot more than that per day, clearly. You know, I bust my tail. But, you know, having the ability to have some flexibility not wanting to necessarily or knowing exactly what the next thing was, you know, those were some of the things that I figured out. And then also just what could I do? What could I start picking up on? And it's been, I frankly, a lot of testing. I've, I mean, it's in some ways it's freeing because I view it as testing, but mm. I mean, I'm still a professional and clearly deliver, but it was basically just, let's see what kind of stuff I start doing. What can I do? Where do I add value and see what I ultimately enjoy? Yeah, that's great. So you said, you decided that you wanted to do things more on your own. You appreciate the, the flexibility and I can definitely, that resonates with me. You know, I'm a, a father of two and I work from home and I left my job a few months ago to go independent. And I love the freedom and flexibility of that because I want to be able to spend time with my family when I want to. You mentioned in there that 
you started picking up some clients uh, yeah. kind of casually. And I think a lot of people might say, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want to go out on my own and be an independent consultant and make my own hours. And I could probably make more money that way. But as you and I talked about before we started recording, no matter how smart you are, how much expertise you have, unless you're able to go out and start bringing in clients, you're not going to pay the bills. How did you bring in those first few clients? Uh, honestly, I think it's what you probably, what most people would probably do is you tap into your network and frankly, just start telling anybody and everybody, this is what I'm doing. At that point, when I first started, and I would argue even maybe to a certain point today, it wasn't like my value prop was like so dialed in. You know, it was, hey, you know what I've done? Like, I'm pretty good at this analytics thing and customer acquisition and retention, monetization, those kinds of things. And it was, hey, where are there some opportunities? And I had a sense that I'm better at scale. So generally speaking, 10, 20 million in revenue a year and above is where I'm a lot better. The organization is at a certain place. And frankly, like what you need at 3 million is not my core skill set. I wish I was phenomenal at every level, but I'm not. And so, you know, things like copy and design and some of these things and some really, really tactical things, I think you're, are more important at 3 million than they are at 20. And so I had a semblance of that, but, you know, I was part of a master slam, part of a mastermind group, part of a couple, started talking to people there, reached out to folks I knew. And then it was a lot of phone calls and you know, it's that, I think it's become a cliche word about the hustle right now, but it was really put it out there. And, and even then, oh, I was like, okay, what do I need to do to 5X and 10X my lead count? And because uh, I felt like, you know, when you're a consultant, first of all, one thing just to get out of the way, like I got over that title a long time ago. Some people do not want to be referred to as a consultant. They think, oh yeah, you're just another consultant or whatever that means. Like, you can call me whatever the heck you want. Contractor, consultant, whatever. Virtually Pay me. Yeah, I mean, I got over that. And I have no problem introducing myself that way. I do know for some of my friends, it is a bit of a stigma around that. And so, whatever. It is what it is, but I got over that. But it was just a matter of start, you know, getting on, talking to folks. And, you know, the challenge with consulting is, especially like when you start out like me, which is basically all by yourself, you got this tension between pipeline and execution. Mm -hmm. and so, you always have to continue to mind that. And right now, I feel comfortable. I have six clients. The count is missed. It's not a complete thing because some are an hour a week calls and some are more intensive, but I'm good right now with my number, but I'm always paranoid as a consultant because, you know, I'm essentially a gun for hire. My uh, structure is a monthly retainer. I do a four month minimum, things like that. But I've always got to keep a semblance of pipeline going. Like, I think I'm pretty good at what I've done. Like, I mean, I do, I am, uh, I've been at this for a few years, things like that, but there's always a component of keeping pipeline going. So I don't think, and I don't expect that's ever going to end when I'm in a, as a consultant, because I right. just think that's the nature of it. But you always have to allow some time because you can get so deep in execution. And then all of a sudden, maybe however many clients you have, they go, once something goes away and you're like, I feel like I'm starting over. So you always have to keep some stuff out there. And it's, my goal was always, if I have a wait list, that's a sign of one indication of that I'm succeeding, at least from that part of my business. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's funny. I've been a consultant for the last seven years and I always been proud of that title. I've never really heard of a, a bad stigma around that, but I, I also know there's a little bit of mystery around it, you know, because you could be a consultant on what? It could be on cookie baking. It could be on strategy. It could be, it could be on anything, right? Anybody could be a consultant. 
This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit AdvantagePerformance.com or call us at 415-925-6832. And now back to the show. There's a few things you mentioned that I want to go back to. This idea of hustle, which I think is, you're right, getting more popular now. If you follow guys like Gary Vanderchuk, who talk about this all the time, and I've been following him more lately. And, and I appreciate that point of view. I think you just got to take it with a grain of salt, right? If you're a father like us and you want to be home with your kids, you're not going to be working around the clock. But at the other side of it, it's kind of like no excuses. I mean, if you mm-hmm. say you want to go out and grow your business, like spend your time wisely so that you yep. go out and grow that business and you talk to your clients. And I love that you went and tapped into your network. As you were doing that, um, you had built a network and you had a reputation. People knew what you could do. And you mentioned going through your mastermind group, which I love to hear as well. I'm in a mastermind group and I think it's so valuable. I talk about it to people all the time. How did you go about pricing your services and structuring that? Because I know when you first start out, it's like darts against a dartboard, right? What do you want to pay me? There is a component that it's still arbitrary. And honestly, my first client, a good friend of mine who has also now become a client, he said, basically, this is the number he uses. And it was because I think someone else he talked to had done that number. And so I thought about discounting it. And I just said, you know, with my first client, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to hate myself. If I get this guy, my first client at the lower number versus the higher, then I'm always going to wonder. There, it's arbitrary, honestly. Yeah. And that is their, just the nature of it. And so there's a bit of figure out the market. I am very explicit and forward about saying, like, I'm premium for premium. So I'm not a 50 buck an hour guy. It's not the work that I do. And I don't mean to disrespect anyone who is 50 bucks an hour, but that's not my pricing model. It's a monthly retainer. Even then I I barely talk about time because it's about results at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. it's not like I do 30 seconds of work a month for a client, but my positioning is a little bit of like, do you care? If I do 30 seconds of work, make a couple phone calls and that gets you 5X, 10X what you're paying me, do you have a problem with that? Or if yes, then we're not the right fit. Right, we're not a good Um, fit. And again, that's not about being confrontational. And again, you have to navigate some of these things. So I'm kind of simplifying to a certain extent, but ultimately it's, let's see what the market can bear. And again, it's ultimately about ROI. And so I prove it out or I don't. And I'm very much in a brand management business as well. So when people come to me and say like, I want help on production or on SEO, I need my expertise at all. I mean, it's a very, and frankly, I'm very careful about filtering any conversations. Email is a lot easier, obviously. But like when people, when I'm not the right guy, I'm very clear about I'm not the right guy. And if I can help refer, I'll do that. If I can't, I'll say it. But I'm playing a long game here. And so trying to pick up a few clients here and then try to learn on their dime, like, yeah, that's not the game I'm playing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of different mindsets on that. I know there are some people out there who might say, just say yes and then figure it out while they're paying you, right? Like you said, learn on their dime but there's a big chance that you make a mistake and you ruin credibility. Plus you're doing work that's outside your expertise and you might not be enjoying it. And if you have yeah. enough work that is within your expertise, plus the other side of that is you hear people say that like gain a lot of respect and credibility by turning them down and saying, no, this is not what I do. I can't help you with that. So have you, yeah. have you turned customers down and then have them come back and be clients in the right way because they've, you've gained that expertise or at least built a better relationship with them as a result? No one has come back. But honestly, 
like I got no problem with that in that sense, yeah. which is like when someone like I had someone come to me a couple of weeks ago and asked for SEO help. And I'd even told them originally, I don't do SEO work, you know, it's like, that is such a technical skill. Yeah. That if, you're, if you're a generalist, you're useless ultimately. And so like, that's a horrible thing for me to go into. There've been a couple places where it was like a slight stretch. Like, so for me going from what I'm doing to SEO, that's not a slight stretch. That's a big jump from what I know it takes to do that. Mm. But like, there've been some places where it was just a little bit of a slight stretch or, you know, whatever. And like a couple instances, it worked out really well. A couple was like, you know, I wouldn't say I blew it out of the park, but I think everyone has clearly gotten all, I mean, value from it. I put a hundred percent of my clients on my website. They all let me. So it's, I mean, I do that. I ask permission, but I'm trying to be as transparent as about as much as possible, frankly, because <clears throat> I just feel like it serves people. And even like things like working from home, when I was kind of more in a corporate mindset, you try to hide sometimes, Oh, I'm working from home versus the reality is a bunch of my clients work from home. And so yeah. like, getting interrupted, I'm fully preparing for like my kids to come running in right now. But if people know that, I mean, they're not home right now, but right. like if people know that there's a lot more comfort and like, at the end of the day, people care about, do I deliver or not? That's yeah. the most important thing. If yeah. we get interrupted for 30 seconds because a kid comes running in, like that's not that big a deal. Like, and if it is a big deal again, like, I become, I become friends with my clients and you know, whether it's Facebook friends or social or just frankly, we're just friendly. Like I view it that way. And so there's gotta be some sense of like expectation and transparency around whether it's my family or my business or whatever it is around that stuff. Yeah. I think that's, that's cool. And that's like the modern age, right? And I work from home too. And uh, I feel like that's all okay now. Thanks to that guy on uh, the BBC clip that went around versus, you know, with the guy that was on the news from Korea and his kids came running into the room and then his wife came running in and everyone's like, yeah, that's the reality of working from home these days. You know, you're sitting there in a suit <laughs> on like world television. So not a big deal, right? Because you're again, going back to results. And I like that you have that conversation up front too, to kind of set the tone that it's not about hours, it's about results. Because I'm sure that you might run into some clients if you don't set that expectation to say, hey, you know, I'm paying you this and you're not really, it doesn't seem like you're working that much and yet you're getting them results. Yeah. And that's kind of the comeback is like, well, are you getting the results you want? And if you are, then why does it matter how much I yeah, work? And honestly, like if, especially with some of my earlier clients, the conversation came up and it was like, hey, we may be paying you more than some of our attorneys. And I said, you know, I understand the math you're doing. Mm -hmm. We all provide value. We provide value in a different way. And at the end of the day, some of this stuff also comes down to a business decision. If people don't want to do that, that's fine. Yep. Uh, I'm in the process right now with one potential client. I'm like, here are a couple, you're actually giving them three references. You can go talk, I mean, we've talked. And again, I try not to spend massive amount of hours in this part of the process because usually I can tell between the email, first email, and within an hour, I can pretty much tell if there's something there. And I can tell mm -hmm. usually in 15, 20 minutes. It's very quick to get a no. So for me to identify no, if I haven't already on an email, but yeah. I also try to make sure that, that, not try to speed through it, but it's not a good use of anyone's time if we're spending a lot of time trying to figure out if there's a fit. If we have to work that hard, probably not the right fit. And yeah. I've also tried to kind of be pretty clear about where my value prop is and what my value add is. I mean, I've got so a blog. It's not massive, but I get a blog and put stuff on LinkedIn so people can read my stuff and get a sense of, hey, I like what this guy says. I don't like what this guy says. It sounds like it's relevant, you know, those kinds of things. So I put myself out there to basically let people know like who I am. You're qualifying then, people by doing that. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, I wrote one of my pieces. I said like, you know, if you're less than 20 million, this is not a piece for you. Basically like just stop. And it's their choice then to do. I mean, I can't control what they read, 
Right. But I think that filtering process and the vetting, and then if they want to talk to my former clients, you know, great. Here they, I mean, you see them on the website, pick your names that you want to talk to and I'll connect you, you know, and that's my confidence, but also that's my background and that's what I do. And so, you know, it's right now I got someone who's talking to a couple of folks and he's trying to justify a business case because he thinks the number is higher than whatever he thinks they can afford. And I think it's a no brainer, but you know, he's got to go through his thing. And so that's, I get that. Right. It's got to go to the right channels and improve it. You mentioned value proposition. I know when you, you said when you started out, you tapped into the network and just started working mm-hmm. with people and trying some things. Have you done some work to hone your value proposition? And, and you said that you are sort of shifting things right now as well, right? Yeah. So ultimately, I play a, some form of virtual CMO in varying capacities. And so with some clients, it's an hour a week. With some, it's more intensive. But ultimately, you know, I come from a performance marketing background. So generally speaking, that means customer acquisition, retention, analytics, and monetization, right? That's core work of what I do. And typically when companies are in, let's say, the $20, $50 million range of annualized revenue, you know, they are trying to break through certain levels. They've done certain things around acquisition, maybe not on retention, or they're really starting to professionalize the business. And again, I've seen meaningful scale. I've worked with a lot of clients now who are in that level. So I kind of have a sense of where they could, can be and should be and also have an appreciation for their business. And I'll give you an example on that, which I didn't have, which was at Beachbody, we were so cash rich and in fitness, generally you break even pretty quickly. I never knew what our break even was. I didn't have to think about it. I could spend 5 million a week and not worry about it. Obviously, if you're a startup and you're bootstrapped or just whatever, it's much more greater appreciation. So, you know, it's been almost three years. So now between the clients I work with and uh, like my prior work and even some, you know, I work with some nine figure clients now, you know, I have a sense of those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's people looking for help on generally paid media, analytics, monetization, retention. I think the big shift probably in the last 18 months is being intentional about working with brands and people who want to build a brand and really a lot of time and effort now around customer experience. So I'm in the process, just kicked off a couple of weeks ago, writing a book on just how important customer experience is. And, you know, it serves from a performance marketer side, it serves the needs of retention And uh, generally, people have a better experience. They're going to stick around longer. Their LTV is going to be higher. It's going to lead to word of mouth, which is better on customer acquisition. And then it is really one of the foundations of building a brand. So it actually, whether you're brand focused and or performance marketing, it actually serves both. But I've just found that the companies that really scale and sustain, they are, customer experience is a big, big deal. So whether it's like Nordstrom, Amazon, Ritz, like the ones everyone talks about, like folks like SoulCycle, Peloton, there's a place, Bucky's, which is a convenience store in Texas, you know, Dollar Beard Club, like they all have created amazing experiences for their target customer. And so I'm spending a lot more time on that. And it's kind of a neat marriage now of this analytical performance mindset that I've had alongside this thing that does that, but also really helps to elevate a brand. So leveraging that experience and expertise you have in analytical performance, and now you're shifting more into how do I help these mid-sized companies with improving their customer experience, which you strongly believe is going to be a catalyst to them being able to scale and grow. Yeah. And it's not just that I strongly believe I've seen it Mm -hmm. and I see it day to day. And again, I look at like, part of this came from looking at the companies because people talk about scale all the time and they want to scale, want to scale. But I think really one of the big wins is build a brand. And generally speaking, the scale will come. There are always edge cases on either side of that. But, you know, part of it was what goes into building a brand. And it's this idea of really building customer experience. And then also just realizing like and seeing that that actually helps retention and acquisition and all the things that I guess I'd say more traditional performance marketer is focused on. So 
imagine that someone was actually focused on word of mouth and increasing that in the business because that means you're then paying attention to really what the customer's experience is about and how do you start to look at referrals, direct, those kinds of things. So it's kind of been a nice little thing of bringing these two things together. And then just tons of different themes about how you can do that, whether it's video and spokesperson or exclusivity and price point. And there are a lot of different tactics to execute that. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So, but so this, but I mean, again, my work is shifting there, but still a lot of the core comes from analytics. I'm a very strategic and analytical thinker. You know, I'm not a copywriter. I'm not a designer. So again, this goes to when I talk to folks, if they don't have resources, do I know someone who I can bring in? And it's really helping them think through this part of the process and how we're going to engage. Cause I kind of just by definition needed to learn how to sell and to close and things like that and found that I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun and to kind of be pitching and you know, it's some people like it, some people don't. And it's, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Some people like it, some people don't, but the reality is if you're going to be an entrepreneur or an independent coach or consultant, you're in sales. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have to be able to sell yourself and you have to be able to close business, right? So it's good that you enjoy that. Related to that, you mentioned something earlier that, that I think is really important, this idea of execution versus pipeline. And I know one of the big traps that a lot of consultants fall into is that they land a big deal and they go out and start doing the work and then the work ends and they find nothing waiting from the other end because yep. they didn't spend any time filling that pipeline. So I'm curious, how do you structure your time to make sure that you do spend time on that to make sure that you are continually filling the pipeline? What's your strategy there? I know you have referrals and people coming to you, but how do you make sure that's, that's there for you when certain projects end? So for me, having five, six clients at a time, again, that's manageable for me for the engagement. Some folks, it's only one at a time. But first of all, I like having the diversity. I'm not ADD, but I like the diversity, but also it, it frankly distributes the risk a little bit. So part of it, that has been intentional. I did something that was like half time, which is always more than that. It just didn't work for anyone. But also, I just didn't like having that level of exposure. I'm not afraid of going all in and all that stuff. My wife is working on something. We're going to, the goal is to build together. But part of it first is like having a little bit of diversity, but also having a relatively tight grasp of where things stand. And so I got to get, continue to get better at this. But like, you know, monthly and certainly quarterly check ins with clients of how are we doing? I just want to have an explicit conversation what's working out well, what's not. And so I'm basically trying to be very explicit about asking that question. And then I know I go to masterminds, you know, I was in, in San Diego for an event. I know that I've got to allocate some time towards that. And uh, it is really hard sometimes in the middle of the day when it's crazy. And, you know, contents for me has been a big deal. So when I write and I put it on my own side, I put it on Medium, I put it on LinkedIn, which is by far the best, that helps. And so I figured out that content is a big deal for me. I've thought about doing a webinar. Like, I just don't want to do it. Like, even my website, like the opt-in is not probably nearly as aggressive enough. I'm actually not an expert at coaches and consultants. So I don't work with, if someone comes to me and says, I got a coaching business, like, can you help me? I'm like, no, that's not what I do. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm better at consumer products and uh, B2C, a little bit of B2B, but like, I actually don't work with coaches and consultants because that's actually, I'm working on that myself, but that's not my expertise if that kind of an odd thing, right? Yeah. But ultimately it's like, it's just knowing and realizing that frankly, learning the hard way of not having pipeline and then starting over. I frankly learned a little bit of that too, recruiting, especially when I was at Beachbody, I was part of hiring a lot of people. I like in the recruiting process, I believe you always have the pipeline going, even if you're going to extend an offer to somebody. And frankly, even if sometimes that offer has been accepted, that how many times have we seen that? Like we think we're close, 
trying mm-hmm. to hire somebody or on the other side of getting a job and it falls through. So I've just learned you always keep that pipeline going. And it's not about being disingenuous or anything like that. It's just, you just never know. And I'd rather yeah. tell someone, hey, you know what? The process accelerated. I can't give you an offer or I've got too many clients now. I've got to put it on pause. People want to be treated respectfully. And that's not at odds with being transparent. But I think you just, sometimes you obviously take some work to figure it out and learn that viscerally. But yeah. you always have to have that pipeline flowing a little bit. And it, sometimes it is literally just like I block out things like sleep or whatever on my calendar. <laughs> I got to block out, especially now with writing a book. It's, yeah. I got to put that on my calendar. I am a creature of my calendar. So like that mm. for me is one of the ways that I do that. Yeah, that's awesome. I was going to ask you how you structure your time in general because you've got all these things going on. And I'm big on scheduling things in the calendar to get them done and blocking time for all this stuff. And yeah. uh, I, I think doing those things to fill the pipeline is so important. And I'm glad you mentioned you know, the recruiting and sales, things can fall through. I just closed a huge deal. Uh, you know, I'm an independent consultant. I just closed a big deal in my business. And cool. having meetings, talking about how we're going to do everything, but the contract is not signed yet. And I'm paranoid. I'm out there meeting with new people, totally. trying to fill that pipeline because I'm fairly confident this is going to happen, but you just don't know. And you don't want to be completely shocked and sitting there with nothing in your hands. Uh, yeah, and I think sometimes you kind yeah. of think confidence or hope or like, well, they said yes. And, yeah. uh, or it sounded like yes. You know, that's the worst thing. It sounded like yes versus they said yes. Yeah. And again, I don't come from a place of not trusting. I just, you know, I also, my investment banking background, M&A work, I just saw so many deals fall through at the last, very last minute. And so, you know, that's just the nature of business and yep. clients and things can come up and whatever it is. And frankly, I've even had people say yes, we were starting. And then a week before say, you know what, I need to push it out three weeks yeah. and, or three months. And that, even in that scenario, I just said, look, let's just put it entirely on pause. Let's revisit. I'm not going to try to like hold you to it, even though, you know, cause again, like I said, told this guy, I remember one specifically, you know, like I need you to commit cause I will not take on another client once you've said yes. Yeah. But again, like I could have charged him or like we could have tried to figure out some work. Like again, I'm playing the long game. Yeah. It sucks. And you got to pay the bills. So sometimes right can't maybe afford that. And I get that. So, you know, I've tried to get to the point where like, I'm not as reliant on any one client, but at the same time, it was a bit of a long game of man, like, I don't want to try to create work. If you don't feel like it's obvious and clear what we're going to do, let's just revisit it. And in that case, frankly, that one actually never came to fruition. We just did a sh- simple call a couple of days ago, but otherwise. You still got a good relationship and it may yeah, turn totally. into work down the road, which, totally, is, which right? is the right move. Like you said, yeah. the long game. This is great. Babak, this has been really helpful. A lot of great stuff that you've been doing. And it sounds like you're building the foundation for a really successful consulting business. For anybody listening who may want to reach out or find out more information, maybe read your blog, where do they go to find out more? Easiest place is uh, my blog is my name, babakazad.com, B-A-B-A-K-A-Z-A-D.com. And then um, my business is around two partners, but the blog has most of the contents on there. And I'm on every social platform there is. So people can find me. LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to catch me. Got it. Great. So uh, connect with you on LinkedIn. Check out the blog for anybody interested. Babak, this has been really helpful, informative, great for me. Uh, So I really appreciate you spending the time coming on. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Take care.